0: As children, we
1: are forever asking the question, why? Yet, at some point, as we move into adulthood, the question gets easily answered with something similar to, just because. Why did we stop asking, why? Welcome to the Mickey Ellison Show, a program where we not only strive to answer those why questions, but we'll find out how to ask more, and not settle for, just because. Now, here's Mickey Ellison.
2: And welcome to the Mickey Ellison Show. This is Mickey Ellison, and before we get to our guest today, whom he doesn't know, I'm about to blame him for this, but uh, I am actually blaming him for the change in the show, and which actually has been a really positive change in the direction that I've been looking to take the show. In fact, when I first started doing. The Mickey Ellison Show, I didn't really even have a direction other than starting to ask those questions why. And I think a lot of that can be boiled down to sports. But before we introduce uh, our guest, I want to talk about last week's show real quick and um, League 42 here in Wichita. If you go to my website, MickeyEllison.com, you can learn more about League 42 and hopefully listen to that show and and let that be an opportunity to... um, possibly make some positive changes with, with baseball and any other sports in your, your neck of the woods, wherever that might be. Um, but the the show has, has changed tremendously in the last uh, few weeks. In fact, in the last four or five weeks, we started with, started with uh, John O'Sullivan, who is our guest today from Changing the Game Project again. Um, we went into uh, more of a health and fitness the next week, which I think all this stuff kind of ties together in, in League 42. And uh, But today's guest is uh, John O'Sullivan. John is with uh, Changing the Game Project. He has a book out there that's called Changing the Game. I've made it really easy for you to find that. If you go to MickeyEllison.com, look on the right-hand side, you can see the book. John is a, a former soccer player. I'm not going to hold that against you, John. Um, I'm just kidding, but uh, as a professional soccer player, has coached for many years, and I think, John, if I'm, if I'm correct, one of the things that drove you in creating Changing the Game is basically because of the, what you had seen and not so much a positive light in what was happening in youth sports today. Is that correct? And welcome to the show, by the way, John. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you having me back but hey you know that you are to blame for the for the change in the direction of the show i it's simply it's funny how things happen I, I i got a simple post on my facebook page from my brother uh of an article that that you had written so i guess it's been about a month ago now mm-hmm. and um uh, maybe even more than that and it, it was uh oh what the heck was it it was uh oh shoot john i'm i'm drawing a blank here so uh Give me two seconds. I'm going to find it real quick. But it was an article about um, how, how kids and specialization and, and some of those those things are happening to kids today. And, and is there a problem with that? And it was the Race to Nowhere. It was the Race yeah, to Nowhere, yeah, yeah. nowhere was, the, was the article, which caused me to become even more curious as to what you guys are doing. I started clicking around your website, and I, I found – that a lot of the things that I was feeling, because I've coached youth sports now for, for eight years, and I absolutely love working with the kids. and But I've also found things inside of your, your website and, and on your Facebook post that, that are things that I even have to deal with. And one of the articles I wanted to talk about today, and it, it's posted on my website, it's also on changingthegameproject.com, it's called The Ride Home. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a, as a coach and a parent, this is one of the areas where I have I probably struggle the most. In fact, my oldest boy last uh, last week played on a I played in a tournament that every time at, after the game I was really conscious of your your article and what we would talk about on those. In fact, we really didn't even talk much about the games in between games. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, to, let's talk about the ride home a little bit and and what uh, what you're talking about because I think in in the article you're you're uh, one of the quotes you had in there was a guy that was uh, was doing some some looking at, at what was going on in youth sports and, and he got to one, one of the players alone and says what was your least favorite moment in sports and he often got a very similar and sad answer the ride after the game
3: mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's such a sad uh sad thing and you know as parents it, it seems logical, right? It's so hard to find FaceTime with our kids these days. We have so many activities and school and homework and friends and all these things. So we go to their sporting events, and then we get 30 minutes of or an hour or whatever it is of FaceTime with them at the end of the game and, uh, in, in the car, and so we say, okay, this is the moment that we're going to uh, sit down and discuss the match, but... Unfortunately, what so many kids say is that that's their worst sports memory because when you think about it, they're physically and emotionally exhausted. And and sometimes as parents, we're emotionally exhausted if it's a very stressful game. And so it's not a very teachable moment, yet this is the moment where so many parents decide that they're going to criticize and critique their kids' performance and their coach and their teammates and all that. And it can be very, very hard on children And and some kids like it. Some kids hate it. But yet so many kids who hate it say this is their worst part of sports, just sitting in the car after the game and and listening to their parents, you know, tear apart their performance.
2: Yeah, it's it's an area that that often winds up in in an argument and parents and kids are angry with one another when they get home when – Uh, And and like you said, it doesn't mean that you can never discuss the game in the car because some kids may actually want to discuss the game in the car. But we actually put in a rule with with our kids on on my oldest boys baseball team. And we've actually plugged this in with my youngest kid as well. And it's called the 24 hour rule. Mm -hmm. And the reason we do that is because, as you said, on that ride home or just immediately after the game, the emotions are high. You're tired. I can remember a specific situation two years ago where I had a conversation with a mom in and, and that very moment. It was, I mean, it was a hundred degrees where we were about to, to uh, we're trying to get the game started sooner because one of the teams didn't show up for the, for a consolation game and we're in the championship. And she chose that moment to bring up a, an item about her kids playing time in the previous game. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had it all to do over with again, I would have basically said, look, I would love to discuss this with you, but right now I need to get the other 11 guys back for the for the game. It, it's something that we can talk about, and I do want to talk about it because I have an open line of communication with, with all of my parents, and if there's concern concerns they have, I want them talking to me about it versus complaining about it with their kids in the car. Right, ex- exactly. and And so I think
3: you're... It's, it's a great rule, a uh, 24-hour rule for your kids and as a parent discussing the game with your coach afterward as well. That was one of my rules was like, just, you know, wait, wait a day and uh, emotionally just everything comes, settles down and you can have a rational conversation. And it's one of the things that I think as a coach as well, we have this ride home of our own and it's called our post-game talk. And sometimes yeah. when our team doesn't play well, we're very angry and we're very upset. And yet we, we, we turn that against our kids and we say things that we regret later on. We, we, we tear down our, our, our kids. And so I made a big change as a coach when I learned a lot of this to take a step back. And I found that the less that I said immediately following a game, the better our, my teams did because I could relax, I could digest the game, and then I could give them some non-emotional and rational and helpful feedback the next day at practice, or if it was a weekend tournament, even just before the next game when we relaxed a little bit and had something to eat. I, you know, When I do these weekend events, every night at the hotel, I would take my team just for a little team walk and a stretch, and then we'd sit down and we'd talk about the day and what we needed to do again the next day, and it made such a difference. To not give them feedback when they're very very emotional.
2: Yeah, we had a situation that I, I've mentioned on the show before. Maybe even when you were on in the past with with uh, with one of our teams that we we actually uh, had played really bad in the first game. Of, it was a weekend tournament. Uh, first game on Saturday, we had played terrible, and I chose that moment as the moment that I would actually get into into the kids, and you know it was it was the that they had a. Their effort wasn't all there and and there were you know slouching of the shoulders and, and and I basically got into them only to find out that in game two they played worse
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and and that night, when I was at home and I was reflecting it on on that that very game and and what happened, it really dawned on me that basically what I was seeing from the kids was there was a couple things I saw one they were playing with fear, and their fear was that they were going to disappoint us, and when they actually when, when our shortstop would make an error, his head would go down, his shoulders would go down. And I realized that he was actually mimicking what he was seeing in the dugout from, from us as coaches. And after that moment, that night, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to pull the coaches aside the next morning. And, and we're going to talk about this. And and decided at that moment, during the game, despite what may happen, unless something is being you know it's way out of whack and someone's trying to harm one of our kids or throwing at one of our kids or something like that because I will take up for our kids to to the end of time but when when they make an error, we have to be as coaches as unemotional as we can possibly be, especially with 12, thirteen, 14 year old kids because the last thing I want them doing is, is being hesitant to make a play simply because they're afraid of making a mistake. In fact, I want them to try so hard that they do make mistakes. And, and the next day or two, I'm sure you've seen this as a coach, the greatest opportunity to teach our kids is when they do make a mistake.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, they're supposed to make mistakes. And when we don't allow them to make mistakes, they don't learn. And so you're, you're, you're exactly right. It's just I, – I always say this way. When, when you are in an emotional place after a game, whether you're a parent, whether you're a coach – Whatever you're doing and and you lash out, you're usually serving yourself. You're not serving your athletes. You're not serving your kids. You're serving yourself because it makes you feel better to get all that off your chest. But if you're really about doing what's best for your kids, it's just a great thing to just, just be quiet. And one of the things that I say um, all the time is that it, you know some kids will naturally bring it up. They want to talk about it. That's mm-hmm. great. Let them bring it up talk about it, and when they're done speaking about it, let it go. Don't criticize teammates. Don't criticize coaches. Just help them critique their performance and let it go. But if your kids don't want to bring it up, then just, then just say nothing and, and move on. And I think you know, the, the one thing I write is that there is you know, one exception, which is certainly the whole idea of if your son or your daughter does something during the game that you would never find acceptable at home. The sure. You know, they, they spit on someone, they punch someone, they, they curse, whatever it might be. Deal with that as this is something that we don't do in this family and then put it to bed. Don't use it as a segue to discuss the game. Deal with the bad behavior and then move on. But that's really the only exception to the rule of better off saying nothing than, than something negative.
2: Yeah, we're coming up on a break. If, if you want to read the article, it's called The Ride Home. You can actually uh, – John, I posted it on my website. But I, I really encourage you to go to changingthegameproject.com as, as listeners to, to learn more than just what I have on there. But I will say this, that I'm b- about halfway through the book, and if you are a parent or you're a coach and you're, you're with – you have kids, or you have grandkids – Spend $13 or $14 to buy this book because we're going to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on our kids in athletics when you might get some of the best information you're going to ever get reading, changing the game. Folks, we'll be back in a, in a minute from this break. The, the, the future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today.
1: Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, still half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier
4: lives. Please visit MarchOfDimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: You are tuned to The Mickey Ellison Show. To connect with the show today, please call one 866 472 5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or you can drop mickey an email to mickey at money-planning.com now back to the show
2: welcome back to the mickey ellison show coach uh john o'sullivan is with me today and john is the the creator of uh changing the game project It's it's a You can go visit the website to learn more about it, and is also the author of a book called Changing the Game, appropriately named, and if you have kids that are are in sports or you have grandkids that are in sports or if you coach sports, I'm about halfway through the book, and I've learned a ton, and and folks, I have been around sports and baseball and basketball and and football since the age of five, and um, I've learned a a lot in, in this book. In fact, the, the book itself caused me to change conversations just this re- past weekend. Um, a, as a coach and a, as a dad at the same time, which when you run into youth sports, that's typically what you're going to have, is you're going to have a dad who is 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 coaching the team who also has a son or daughter on that team. And we, in the last segment, discussed a little bit about the ride home and how that can be at times miserable for our kids and at times could be one of the reasons – that that they stop playing. Now, there's actually a stat, John, in your book that talks about how, um, by the age of thirteen, I believe it is, seventy percent of the kids in youth sports drop out.
3: Yeah, you're, you're correct, and they, they drop out for for many reasons. But so many of them drop out because it just doesn't serve their needs anymore. It serves the needs of of the adults. There's so much criticism and yelling and emphasis on winning and and fear of making mistakes. And there's no, there's very little of why children play sports which is because they want to have fun because they want to be with their friends because they like to learn and they enjoy the excitement of competition but realistically for for kids winning isn't doesn't even crack the top 10 of reasons why they play and that goes for the you know top competitive kids as well
2: yeah you know, that reminds me of i'm a in my financial planning business and it it kind of ties in with with sports and in and of itself, there's a quote that you actually have in here from Mike Singletary in the book that uh, that we'll talk. about. I'll, I'll mention it in just a second. But in, in my business as a financial planner, one of the things that has never, ever, ever motivated I me. Mean, you might find this odd that I'm in, in dealing with money each and every day. Money is not a motivator whatsoever to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's working with working with people, and recognition isn't. Uh, John, I was a player of the year in in, in my conference my senior year in high school in in baseball and the night of the banquet i didn't go to the banquet because i actually had the opportunity to play a game with my american legion team because it wasn't the honor it wasn't the awards it wasn't fame it wasn't for money you know what my motivation for the game was to simply play the game that's why I was there. Now, you did mention in that last portion about, about keeping score, and that is a really a hot topic these days. And, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of places that have chosen to, to turn the scoreboards off. And what are your thoughts on, on, on keeping score at, at early ages? Well,
3: see, here, here's the thing.
2: I, I don't – this is the, the line that I
3: dance. I'm all for competitive sports. I am the last person who says – you know trophies for everyone and don't don't keep score and things like that, because the kids naturally keep score. I mean, I coach my uh-huh. six year old son in soccer. There's no scoreboard, but the kids know what the score is of the game, but then about a minute after the final whistle, the only thing they care about is how many uh, pieces of orange they each got. That's the score they're keeping <laughs> at that point you know they're they're not worried about the scoreboard anymore. So yeah, I don't think in ten year old basketball games we need a big electronic scoreboard keep, keeping keeping score. Maybe basketball's hard because there's, there's so many points, but in football or, or soccer or things like that. But the idea that we need to keep standings at ten years old is is crazy. The idea that we need to play for, you know, regional or state or national championships at eleven years old. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, and, and it, it's this where we're going younger and younger and younger, because what happens is kids develop at their own age, especially boys. Uh, a 12-year-old boy can have a six-year developmental age swing. So a 12-year-old boy, a 13-year-old boy could have the body of a 10-year-old, or they could have the body of a 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that difference. And so when you watch something like the Little League World Series, you're a baseball guy, and they talk about this dominant pitcher, well, I guarantee you he's a head taller than everyone else on the field. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's man. why he's dominant, because he's physically matured. Now, that's all fine and dandy and great, but how many of those kids keep, keep moving on? I mean, since 1946, when the Little League World Series started, only 27 of those kids have played in the major leagues. So there's so little correlation between being good at 11 and, and being good as an adult.
2: Yeah. And and you're right. It it is, it is very much has a lot to do with with the development of of some of the kids. I can remember kids I grew up playing baseball and basketball against. I I remember this one kid, he had facial hair when we were, when we were 12
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and he just dominated. And by the time we got to high school, he was actually one of the smaller guys that we played against. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, yeah. So when you're talking about, when we're talking about keeping score obviously my kids are the same way they knew what the score of the games were they knew whether they won or lost the game um but you know after that one game that's kind of the end of it is that what i'm getting from you i mean the kids are they they're trying to win they want to win but if they lose 45 minutes later 20 minutes later that that, you know they're not dwelling on actually we could learn some some big lessons from them by not dwelling on on something negative that happened for years and years and years. Right. That's exactly it. And one of the things is that
3: kids understand that winning and losing is part of the game. You you can't win all your games. But what happens is they come to fear losing because of the reaction from their coaches and their parents based on the scoreboard. And so this is why we have to take the emphasis off of winning and turn it back on to learning, you know, when our kids go to school and they're learning how to do algebra, we don't expect them to get it right immediately. But we go and and we expect them in sports to get it right. I just went to my kids this past weekend. They just started playing piano, and went to their piano recital, and there was kids sort of age second through fifth grade doing, you know, at all different stages of piano, and the parents are watching, and. The, the kids, every, every kid who played made a mistake, but no uh-huh. parents stood up and started screaming at them for making a mistake because they understand that, guess what, piano's hard, and you're supposed Jesus. to make mistakes. And, and as you're progressing, you're doing harder and harder things. You're going to make more and more mistakes. Well, I, and all I thought about is this is the same exact audience that on any given field on any given weekend goes out to their third, fourth, fifth-graders game and yells and screams at the kids for every single mistake. Now, why do we understand that in piano, it's okay to make a mistake, but in sports, oh, we think it's not okay. It's because of this whole idea of, well, at the end of this, there's a winner and there's a loser, and I'm not going to let my kid lose.
2: Yeah, and you you mentioned in the book it, it, that uh, some of it has to do with our values and how, how many of those things have changed. And I'll read a, a, a little portion on here. You said in... 1967 through 1997, some of the most popular shows on television were the Andy Griffith Show, Laverne and Shirley. I mean, I remember those shows. Those were fun. Growing Pains. I don't really remember Sabrina the Teenage Witch. But uh, um, but what was often taught in those shows was even though they were funny or even though they were entertaining, there was usually some type of lesson at the end of it. You know, Andy Griffith is probably my favorite, and I am from a small town in South Carolina, so I might have grown up in Mayberry. Mm -hmm. but uh you know you you learn things about community feeling you learn things about benevolence and and uh tradition and 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 those sorts of things whereas today the more the more popular shows are things like american idol and hannah montana and and uh what are some more x factor and and i can't even think of them all because we don't watch much television in our house we don't have time to but the it seems to me that the You just watch the shows that my kids will turn on every once in a while on on uh, Disney Channel and and Nickelodeon, and almost all of them are about somebody trying to be famous, and they're trying to 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 become rich and, and and nothing there's nothing wrong with becoming wealthy that's not what i am sitting here saying because I do work in a in a business that's financial planning and people are working towards that all the time but is is that what you're seeing as maybe a an even bigger problem than it's not just sports in general it is the combination of sports with um with our values and how they've changed over the years
3: yeah that that's exactly it. Um, the, or, or the values that are expressed by pop culture these days are very different than they were when we were growing up. And so what I like to teach is that sports is the perfect venue to teach positive core values, to teach uh, things that we would call character, to teach valuable life lessons. And there's not that many places to teach anymore. We have sports. We have church we have our family. I mean, even the schools, you know, the, these, these popular pop culture values have pervaded schools through TV, through music, through movies. And so the messages that our children are getting bombarded with every day are not the same ones that we were bombarded with when we were growing up. And so sports is more important than it's ever been before for doing things like teaching kids about working with other people, teaching them about respecting others about respecting authority and and turning the focus away from themselves and towards the people on their team or their coaches. I mean, just something as simple as teaching your kids to go up and say thank you and shake the hands of their coach after every practice and after every game is a lost art. But that was something that my dad made my brother and my sister and I do when we were young. You go and you say thank you to that coach who has spent his time or her time to teach you. And that's such an important thing. So, that's one of the reasons I think this 70% dropout rate is a really scary thing because where else are kids going to get these lessons from if not from sports?
2: Right, and it's, it comes from sports and it comes from home, but the sports actually puts them in a safe environment to have to develop some of those skills that will help them later on in life. I'll give you a personal example of, of how sports actually did help me. About uh, 13 years ago when my oldest son was born, I was at at about 250 pounds, I'm only six feet tall, 250 pounds, and I didn't look like a running back for the for the Denver Broncos or anything like that. Um, I looked more like roly poly. And but because of the training that that I had, once I finally found the motivation to get started back, I already had the skills that I needed to to lose the weight and and the drive to get through some of the times that were painful. And, you know, it actually led me to to run into one of my my previous guests on on the show, and he talks a lot about some of the things you're saying about with values and, and things of that nature. He's a team beach body coach. I mean, you're talking about mm-hmm. insanity and P90X and the, those types of things. But there's there's so much more that goes along with it than just, just the fitness part of it. But it, it's sometimes having to persevere. You know, sports is a great place where you can learn – to, to persevere because you will go through stretches if you play these games long enough. I can remember John, my freshman year of college. I thought baseball was going to be really really easy in college, mm-hmm. and in fact, I I was you know mid, oh going going into April of my freshman year, I'm hitting four hundred with uh, thinking, gosh, this is really easy. And at about that time, I thought I when everything was easy, I almost went over oh, April, mm-hmm. and and but those are the types of things that that um really helped me to persevere, but I also saw some of the pressures that you you see in college that can take away some of the fun from the game, and we're now taking those same pressures and putting them on 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids when, uh, you know, the, the main thing is I tell our kids each and every year, and I tell the parents in our parent meeting, we'll talk about that when we get back from this break, that my number one goal when I'm coaching these kids is for them to walk away loving the game and being better people for having played play the game with our teams. doesn't mean that we're, we're going to win championships. If we do, great. If we don't, great. But, um, you know, we are going to play competitive, but we're going to learn things. Folks, we have with us today John O'Sullivan from Changing the Game Project. If you're interested, actually you should, if you have kids, go to my website, click on the, the icon over to the right-hand side of the page, buy the book Changing the Game, and learn more about it, and you will do more to help your kids as a parent, as a coach, than than most any other thing that that I can think of buying if you will actually take this book and read it. Folks, we'll be back in a minute.
4: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit.
2: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv
4: today.
1: You are tuned to The Mickey Ellison Show. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or you can drop Mickey an email to Mickey at money planning.com. Now back to the show.
2: And welcome back to the show. This is Mickey Ellison. And one of the days, one of these days, they're going to get that fixed. You can actually just email me at Mickey at MickeyEllison.com if that's easier to remember. But, hey, we've got John O'Sullivan with us today from Changing the Game Project, and we've talked about the, the ride home and how that can be tough on our kids and some of the aspects that are going on. But let's actually look at, uh, in your book, John, you mentioned something about some myths. The first myth I'm going to read um, comes from the book. It says children need to specialize early in a specific sport if they want to play competitively, play high school, play college, or even play professional sports. What, what do you say about that myth? Well,
3: aside from that, the, there's really two early specialization sports. So it would be female gymnastics and female figure skating, where the body type required to be at the elite level is a body type that that those athletes hit in their um, teen years. For most team sports, baseball, basketball, soccer, um, football, all these, hockey, the athletes reach their physical peak at in their 20s. And so the idea that they have to specialize the first time they, you know, you know, skate or the first time they kick a soccer ball is crazy, yet that's become conventional wisdom. And with the rise of so many private sports organizations competing for scarce dollars, they're demanding more and more year-round commitments from children at younger and younger ages and telling them, oh, you know, if you don't specialize, we're going to give your spot away. And all the science tells us that this is so bad for kids because children who specialize in one sport get injured 70 to 90% more than children who do multiple sports and
2: kids who You know I was actually yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I was I was actually on a show this morning with uh, it's a local sports show here in town and they were talking about pitchers and, and how much you know more frequent these kids uh, these guys are having what the Tommy John surgery, that's a, in the elbow, and how they're getting to uh, – it may even impact the contracts, whether they're going longer term or shorter term, because a lot of these kids are coming in at 22 years old with – when they do an MRI that, or look at their, their joints, they look like they're 31 to 32 years old because they've had – is that because of specialization possibly? Yeah,
3: that, that's exactly it, and I don't know if we read the same article I read one. I think it was on Bleacher Report yesterday, just about – uh, major league pitchers, you know, again, blowing their elbows and having this surgery and how so many of these young star pitchers are, are getting hurt. And one of the reasons they're speculating this is happening is because 20 years ago, those kids who were great baseball pitchers also played football and also played basketball and they gave their arm a rest, but now it's year-round baseball, year-round baseball. So they get there and they blow out their arm. And one of the fascinating things was was that these kids... Uh, of all these pitchers who had blown their arm, only one of them grew up in, I think, the Dominican Republic or South America, So where they just have a lot more free play and a lot more relaxation and a, and a lot less emphasis on tournaments, 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 games, games, games. And so it's a very scary thing when these kids are, again, they're seeing these elbow injuries in young baseball pitchers that they would never see in college-age kids, and now they're seeing them in 12-year-olds.
2: Yeah, and, and you you go back to the days of of the uh, Cy Young and, and some of the older guys that that pitched, and these guys would pitch. I don't know. I don't know how many pitches they would throw, but they would they would pitch t- thirty five, forty, fifty, sometimes fifty games a year without any of the the injuries, and they would last for long periods of time and have very very. If I don't know how long Cy Young played, but the guy, I think he led the late, the major leagues in all time wins, but he's also might lead the league in all-time losses. But, you know, I ran into a deal with my my youngest kid. He's eight years old. They've got a very – it's a developmental league where they do let the kids pitch at eight. And um, we've ran into a team that twice we've played them, and they've let an eight-year-old throw close to 80 pitches two games in a row. And that's just the two games that that we have played. And, you know, we, we cut our 50s high for us. Our whole goal is we don't – while we are trying to win the game, we are – I mean, don't get me wrong. We are trying to win the game. But more importantly, we're trying to develop – we've got 12 kids on the team, and we have pitched 12 kids. And we will continue to do that. And it may be an inning at a time, but, you know, there's – it is the, the problem of looking at, at the injuries. And I I even talked to my – talked about my dad on the last show that, that we did with uh, Bob Lutz and, and um, the uh, League 42 here in Wichita – I used to get mad at my dad because when I was a kid, he wouldn't let me pitch. In fact, my mom got on him quite a few times. We got in a state tournament, and I didn't get to pitch until the championship game. And the only reason I got to pitch then, John, was because I was the only one left.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: But yeah,
2: and, when I, I, mean, I was, in- it's it's Go one ahead. of those things, Mickey, where
3: the the sociologist Jay Coakley has this great quote. He says, "When they ask children, or well, well, they say this: when you're a baseball coach." So for so many dads who become their kids' baseball coach, the first thing they do is say, okay, I have to find my pitcher. I have to find the kid who doesn't let anyone get on base, who doesn't let anyone hit the ball. Yet when they ask children, why do you play baseball? What are your three favorite things? I like to run, I like to hit, and I like to field. Uh Well, the adult running the game says, let me find the one player that doesn't let anyone run, hit, or field. <laughs> and that's the adult values versus versus kids values. I mean, you know, when when you when kids fifty years ago or even me, you know, grew up playing pickup baseball in the park or stickball or whatever. I grew up in New York City or New York playing stickball. It's like you know, you didn't have the person out there who didn't let you hit.
2: You hit the ball all the time. Heck yeah, we might actually throw the thing um, bat and press. Bat and practice fastball speed or underhand just so we could play the rest of the game
3: just so you can play that's it. i mean that's exactly it yet yet when the adults take over they try to find the one person who doesn't doesn't do that and one of the things that baseball players say is the worst thing you can ever do for a young pitcher is show him a radar gun <laughs>
2: yeah, well we're not no danger of that with our guys because we don't have one <laughs> but uh you know it it, it does uh um I remember with with our older kid how we would run into to game situations and and we would I would actually have parents that would get angry with me at times. Um you know, we were we were playing we used to play in league and, and tournaments at the same time and I would have kids that you know, we would be playing on a Thursday night knowing that we were gonna be playing Saturday and Sunday and I would take a kid out after one inning. And with, or maybe two innings, if he had a really low pitch count, and parents would be going, well, why are you taking him out? I'm because I want him to be able to possibly throw Sunday, and more importantly, I want him to be able to throw when he's 17 or 18, right? And, and without the without the arm trouble, but uh, um, yeah, specialization is and, and it is big, and and part of the reason it's big is I think there's a lot of money in it. There's a lot of money in in specializing, and and I, I find it interesting. One of my best friends here in town that uh, we coach different teams, actually my oldest boy plays some with them or has played with them in the past when they needed a player, is when I run into the guys that actually played college or played professional baseball or something like that or and they're coaching the teams, even in basketball, you find that they are the guys that typically will not take their pitchers past. uh 50 pitches or they've got a pitch count on them, whereas you run into to other teams who don't have um, the perspective of having played in college or whatnot, and, and they will throw like that kid that's 8 years old throwing 80 pitches a game and doing it more than once in a week. Right, exactly. And, and
3: again, I'm sure that existed 30 years ago as well, but the difference was the kids only played baseball for three months or maybe five. Right then they moved on to something else. Whereas now, at younger and younger ages, all they're doing is playing baseball, and all they're doing is throwing 80 pitches a couple times a week, and that's why they're blowing out their arms. And and I don't want to just pick on on baseball. This is happening across so many sports. It's happening in soccer. It's happening in hockey. It's happening in all these different sports, and even in basketball now to an extent, where kids are being asked to play year-round. And what we've lost sight of is that almost every single professional athlete was a multi-sport athlete. You take a guy like Steve Nash in basketball. Steve Nash got his first basketball at age 13, and he's a two-time MVP. So, <laughs> yes,
2: worked so out pretty good. He's
3: just a phenomenal athlete. He was a great soccer player growing up. His His brother was actually a professional soccer player for a number of years. So – we we're we're so focused at younger and younger ages on making kids specialize and then what we do is we pick all star teams at younger and younger ages and we have tryouts and we cut kids at eight years old, at nine years old before we could ever possibly know whether they will be a good player in the long term. And we cut them and, and we're 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 funneling so many late blooming children out of sports because They're just not big enough, fast enough, strong enough at eight years old or nine years old when we start actually making cuts and forming all-star teams. And it's crazy. None of that is based in science. None of that's based in good long-term athletic development. None of that's based in good psychology. It's based on some misguided adults who think that the most important thing is that their nine-year-old team wins all their games. And that's very sad because it's not serving the one group of people that it's supposed to serve who are the children, who are the young athletes.
2: Yeah, and, and by doing that, you might miss, you, you obviously would have missed out on a Steve Nash, and, and maybe the, the greatest basketball player of all times, you might have actually missed out on Michael Jordan. You might
3: miss out on Michael Jordan. I mean, there's a, there's a guy you
2: know, named Bob
3: Bigelow who's a former NBA player who does a lot of speaking like I do, and, and he's in the same boat. He, he started playing basketball really late, and in eighth grade he was a, a gangly, um, a little bit uncoordinated athlete, but all of a sudden he grew in high school and was a first-round NBA pick. And, and he goes and he does these clinics with eighth-grade coaches and says, you know what, you would have cut me in eighth uh-huh. grade. Because you're so focused on cutting and, and only picking the best kids who will help you win now, that you're not picking the kids who are going to be there long term.
2: Yep, and folks, we're at the end of this segment as well. It's it's just flying by, John. We need a three hour show for whenever <laughs> you're on, um, and we'll get back from this break. But there's two other myths that we're going to hit on. Um, and uh, folks, if you haven't uh, if you haven't gone to the website, go to my website or go to the Changing the Game Project. Buy the book. Is $13, $14, $15. Dollars, it's well worth the money to do so. If you're going to, thinking about spending or you're going to be spending thousands upon thousands of dollars for your, your kid and youth sports, at least spend 15 to read this book before you you, you really go out on a limb and, and spend the other money. Folks, we'll be back from this break in a minute.
0: Talk,
4: talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah!
2: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv
4: today.
1: You are tuned to The Mickey Ellison Show. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can drop Mickey an email to mickey at money-planning.com. Now back to the show.
2: Welcome back to the Mickey Ellison Show. And you know, I wonder if that phone number actually works, John. Um, I don't know that I've actually ever had a phone call during the show, but I would love we would love to have one at some point in time. But uh, we have with us today John O'Sullivan, who is with Changing the Game Project, and it's a... Uh, website and a, and an idea that I am fully behind and it's actually changed the direction of of my show after reading one post and having John on on the show a couple of weeks back. If you missed that show, you can you can actually go to to my website and and go back a few a few weeks and, and listen to the the first show that John was on. But let's hit the ground running on here. We talked about the the myth of specialization in the last segment. Let's talk about um, two other myths that you have listed in the book, and um, one is. The uh, sports, and especially travel and competitive-level sports, are an investment in a future scholarship or contract. What do you say to that?
3: Well, yeah, that, that, that's one of the the huge myths these days. Because people are investing so much time and so much money in youth sports, there's this myth that, well, we'll get it back on the back end from a scholarship. And what the statistics from the NCAA show is that only about – to 2% of high school athletes actually play a college sport. And of that number, only a small percentage of them get a partial scholarship. Never mind a full scholarship. If you're outside of basketball or football, there's very, very few full scholarships. The average financial reward is about $11,000. So the idea that this is an investment and something that you're going to get back at the end is it's it's a i mean you're a you're a financial planner, you know yeah. there's a far better place to put your money than thinking that youth sports is going to pay off in the form of paying for college now it's a great place to learn these core values it's a great place to learn life lessons it's a great place to teach your kids to overcome challenges and and develop confidence and grit and determination and all these things. And if they happen to be genetically gifted and put in the time and the effort and have the coaching to be really good and maybe get a scholarship, that's that's the icing on the cake. But, man, that cannot be the goal because kids are acutely aware that as a parent, if you are thinking that this is something that they are going to pay you back, that they are investing in you and, and that you are going to basically pay them back financially through a scholarship, it has been shown through research to add stress to add pressure and take away enjoyment, which are all three things that make kids quit.
2: Yeah, and and that's that's the enjoyment and the fun of it is, is the number one reason why I think, well, and you say that in your book that that kids play sports and you know, and it's not it's not a cakewalk if you actually make it. I was fortunate enough to be one of those that did receive a scholarship. But you you made a point just a minute ago. If you're looking at baseball as your as your ticket to uh, to a college scholarship, I think they have was like 11.4, like eleven point four, eleven point three scholarships available for baseball teams. And last I checked. You know, our SEC roster. When I was at Vanderbilt, had 25 kids on the team. So that would tell you that no, very few on that team were actually receiving 100% scholarship, at least athletically.
3: Right. That's that's exactly it. There's far more academic money out there than there is athletic money.
2: Yeah, and and it's it. it most of us that, that, that played never really had a shot. It, you know, you talk about the odds of, of getting a college scholarship. When you start breaking that down to getting a professional contract, those odds are even greater.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the, you're, you're talking about one-tenth of one percent of kids go on from high school to pros in, in specific sports, so yeah, it's it's such a it's 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 you're 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 rolling the dice and again it's fantastic. I the one of the things that I teach in the Change in the Game project and what I write about in my book is that these same principles that make sports enjoyable, that give kids control and ownership, that that opens up the channels of communications, that finds the right environment, they make the most competitive athletes better. So I'm not the happy-go-lucky, you know, high fives for everyone. It doesn't matter if your child's a recreational level player or an elite level player, these same principles apply. And if you want your really top player to have the best chance of playing in college, have the best chance of playing pro, then you have to do these same things. It doesn't change just because your your child happens to have some talent.
2: Right. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's one, it is it's a great deal and opportunity. It was a great opportunity I had to play in college. But, uh, you know, the the most important things I learned from sports are probably the things that have helped me to be successful in the business that I do. It, it was the grit, the determination to not let failure be the thing that, that stops you. In fact, it's where you learn the most and, and you get back up and, and you try again. Let's mm-hmm. get myth three because we only have about four minutes in the show. Um, myth three is parents and coaches who want to develop high performers must focus on winning
3: right exactly and so basically if someone's going to be a high performer at anything in sport and music and art and work it's not about the outcome which is winning it's about the process and we call it this is the difference between being successful and and seeking excellence and what we want athletes to do is seek excellence be the best person that you can be and understand that this is a marathon it's not a sprint and it has to do with trying and failing and getting up and dusting yourself off and failing again and learning over and over and over. When we focus solely on winning, when we put our kid on, well, he or she's on the winning team, what happens a lot is a lot of parents put their kids on that team that wins all of games, but then their kid sits on the the bench and never yeah. gets to play. And that's one of the top reasons why kids quit, because they they would rather play. Well, I came across this fascinating statistic that said that 90% of children would rather play on a losing team than sit the bench on a winning team. And when I see that, me, I think, what percentage of their parents feel the same way? And, and again, I don't want to be all negative uh, to parents here, because obviously probably the vast majority of parents are fantastic. But so many people think, oh, no, my kid's on the winning team. He's exactly where he needs
2: to be. Not necessarily. Well, uh, to, to me, that's just common sense. I. I I remember someone talking to me in, in high school. I would actually made the varsity basketball team my, my ninth grade year, and he somebody pulled me aside and said, "Look, you know, if you go down and play JV, you're going to play. Mm-hmm. If you stay up here with the varsity, yeah, you're going to be able to say you made the varsity team as a ninth grader, but you're going to get about a minute a game. Right. And I wound up choosing to go back down to JV, where you know, in in a uh, thirty six minute game, I probably got to play thirty three of the minutes.
3: Right. Exactly. And that's how you get better by. Playing yeah, like you said it's common sense, but but yet so many times we we ignore that common sense
2: yeah I, I, you know I, the, the fun parts I remember about baseball is we did win a state championship one year, but the journey was what was fun you know what? I remember the days when it was rainy and we had those little mud puddles out there in the middle of the field, and we would spend hours with those little balls little, like big golf balls, mm-hmm. having our coach hit balls over the top of that so we could just dive in it. but it was fun man it was so we were so nasty when we got done but it was that that we you would have thought we won the world series when we actually caught one over that over in midair over that mud puddle but uh you know folks there's there's a lot of myths that are out there there's a there there's a lot of things about youth sports that that are possibly negative these days but there's also a lot of good and that's what, what John is trying to do with Changing the Game Project. That's what Bob Lutz is trying to do with uh, uh, League 42 here in Wichita. And that's what our next guest next week is going to be trying to do. And actually, John O'Sullivan, you are the reason that he's going to be on the show and is a mentor of yours, Rob Miller from Proactive Coaching, will be on with me next week. Mm-hmm. Folks, we're at the end of the show. Um, John, is there anything you want to say before we get before we actually end it? No, I just, you know, thanks for having me on again. And I think you've said it a
3: lot, but if people are interested or they want to, you know, check, check out some of my work, they can come to changingthegameproject.com and they can actually put in their email and grab a free chapter of my book if they like.
2: All righty. And if you can go to my website and spend 13 bucks, buy the book, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you, John O'Sullivan, for coming on again. We'll see you next week. Awesome.
1: so much for joining us on the mickey ellison show mickey plans to be here again next wednesday morning at 8 a.m pacific time 11 a.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel we hope you'll be here too